0: Turn with me in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter fifty-three. Isaiah chapter fifty-three. Um, we are, uh, if you are uh, new with us, um, we are making our way through the story of the land in preparation for next Sunday, uh, Easter Sunday, and uh, of course next week we will look at the victorious Lamb. Uh, but before we get there, uh, we need to look at the death the Lamb of God, and that's what we'll be looking at this morning, uh, so I encourage you to turn to Isaiah 53, I would also encourage you as you turn there to think about the fact that it's a, it's proven that people are more likely to receive an invitation to church and to be here on Christmas and Easter. Uh, so people that are on your heart, that you think about, that you would like to see them to church and to hear Christ proclaim, uh, I would uh, let that seep in, let that be on your heart this week, as you go throughout your week, that they will be more likely uh, this week uh, to come to give church a try, to, to hear some preaching, to hear uh, some songs about Christ, and they are uh, the rest of the year. So, so please, let that motivate you, let that move you into action of inviting them. Isaiah 53, verse 1. We'll read the entire chapter. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground, and had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire in him. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its hearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation, we consider that he was cut off, out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death. Although he had done no violence and there was no deceit found, in, uh, no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring, He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. makes intercession for the transgressors. This is the word of God through the prophet Isaiah. You know, many people, when they sit in judgment of God, which is never a good, never a safe place to be, their question is always what does God not do? They look upon the sickness in the world. They see why doesn't he step in and and take cancer away? us on a daily basis. They look at war and they say, why doesn't God make peace? Why does he allow the war and the tearing of flesh with bullets? And in a tragedy they say, why didn't God intervene? Why didn't he do something? But the most important question that escapes them It's not, why doesn't God do something? The question that escapes them that should be on their heart is, what has Christ done? What has he done? And that is what Isaiah 53 tells us. It tells us what God has done in the death of Christ. It's an amazing prophetic set of verses. It's probably the most amazing in all of Old Testament. It is the mountaintop. It is Mount Everest when it comes to Old Testament prophet. For in this recollection of, of Isaiah, uh, of what is going to happen in the cross, it is if he is, is, is writing these words from the foot of the cross itself. I mean, just the detail of what went down the cross being accounted hundreds and hundreds of years before it happened is an amazing account. And so what I want us to look at is the death of the Lamb. The death of the Lamb. And the first thing I want us to notice is that it was a substitutionary death. The substitutionary death of the Lamb. We, we see here our rejection being placed on Him. Our rejection being placed on Him. Verse 2, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. Rejection is difficult, right? (laughs) Do you not hate being rejected? I remember in uh, in grade school, on the playground, you're going to play some football. And what do you do? Or baseball, or whatever it might be. And what do you do? You pick teams. And it may come as a shock to many of you, but I was not usually the first choice. I usually sat in anguish, asking God and just hoping. I just don't want to be last. Because to be last is to have been rejected, basically. You have to be on a team, because you're playing. But to be the last kick is to be rejected and I, I felt that sometimes I was the second to last sometimes I was the last I was just hoping not to be the last the last to feel the rejection of my abilities on the field many of us have felt the rejection in a relationship of, of the breakup right that we come to find we're not enough for this person that we think we love And our rebellion against the Holy God deserves nothing but cosmic rejection. Not just rejection in our sporting ability or in a relationship, but cosmic rejection. We deserve cosmic rejection because of our rebellion against the Holy God. Ephesians 2 says that we all at one point existed in a state of rejection as Strangers and aliens to God. Those rejected because of our sin. And yet we see that God chose for his son to be rejected. To be one that felt the rejection of his people. We know that one day that uh, Christ will be revealed as, as he is. Fully in His full Majesty, and every knee will bend. Every knee that refused to bend will, in that moment, bend to the Majesty of Christ. But in His coming, God chose for His Son to come without that Majesty, without a clear indication of it. Says here that He had nothing, no beauty. We should desire Him and you no know, majesty that we should look at Him. So though we we were the ones that were deserved uh, that deserved rejection, it was Christ who felt the rejection. They did not want Him as King. They rejected Him and not only rejected Him, but they crucified Him. They hung him on a cross, which is, which is a sign of absolute, of being cursed by God. They not only rejected him, they saw him as someone who was cursed by God and just deserved the worst death imaginable. He was rejected in the rejection that we deserve. We also see our sorrows on him, not just our rejections on, on him. We see our sorrows on him. In verse four: Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows; yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. I was—we uh, were confused at uh, at first when we were in conception, and and as the nights rolled on, we were trying to sleep. And just a little after midnight, you could hear commotion. You could hear people outside of the church gathering. Talking and it's it's midnight. Why why are these people here at midnight? We we shut down ministry at six, and they're here at midnight. What are they? When we get going at eight a.m. Why are they here? Why are they keeping us up? And we came to realize that, that these people were so in desperate need of dental work. They were so in desperate need of medical attention that they wanted to get there at midnight to get first in line to make sure that they didn't experience that pain or agony for another year. And I was thinking about this verse that that these are a people that because of the remoteness of where they live, they live in desperate need and affliction and they need help all the time. And yet they, many of them only get it once a year. And I was moved and I thought, we live in Disneyland. I can think of a few times that I've waited in line at midnight. A couple of midnight showings that I wanted to see because I wanted to be the first to see a movie. I remember once uh, in line to get the new iPhone. I've never desperately waited in line for dental work. I don't do that. We don't do that. We avoid the dentist. And yet all of us, like even if we had the, the life of someone in remote Nicaragua with no dentist, with, with no medical care, it would be far more than any of us deserve we would experience far more joy than any of us deserve. For we deserve to be people of sorrow because of our sin, because of our rebellion against God. We don't deserve one moment of grace, one moment to laugh, one moment of joy in this world. And yet Christ became one. Christ, the most joyous and fulfilled being in all the universe, chose to be a person of affliction, a person that knew grief and knew pain. He bore the sorrow that belonged to us on himself. We see our transgressions on him our sin on him I think it's it's hard for us to even comprehend because of how lightly we take our sin but to a holy God it was huge for God to allow the sins our sins to be placed upon his perfect son and as we talked about a couple weeks ago you know, we tend to think about the nails and, and the, the blood and the whip and, and those things, as horrible as they were, were not the biggest agony that Christ experienced. The biggest agony that he experienced was our, were our sins placed upon him. Those rusty nails te- tearing through flesh, that, that crown of thorns ripping his brow, Was nothing compared to the weight of our sin. What did you do this week. When it comes to sin. What sin did you boldly commit. Without much thought of all. Do you realize that that is the very sin. That was weighing upon Christ. On the cross. And the Lord laid has laid on him the iniquity of us all. It wasn't him. He didn't do any of it. He didn't rebel one bit towards God, and yet he bore our sins, our transgression. And next, I want us to see it wasn't just a super, uh, substitutionary death where he took on all these things that we deserve that it was also the willing death of the Lamb of God. We see, first, our willingness to kill him. Verses 8 and 9 says this, by oppression and judgment he was taken away. Verse 9, And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence. And there was no deceit in his mouth. If you ever doubt the evilness of man, if you ever think, oh, man's really good when you get down to it, just look at the cross and look what we as mankind did to the one good man who walked this earth. The one good man that walked this earth. We bent over backwards, back we rejected law and order, We rejected the fact that he just kept going to magistrates, and they kept going, I don't see anything wrong. I don't see anything that he has done that deserves death. And yet, he died because we wanted to kill the Son of Man. And you may say, well, I wasn't there. Oh, you were there. And if you had been there, chances are you would have screamed, crucified. We know, that, we know that, later at the, that, that later in Acts, we see that Peter preaches to the crowd and they're cut to the heart because they realize what they've done. But in this moment, they are enthusiastic. We don't care that he hasn't killed anybody. We don't care that he hasn't lied. We are moving forward with his death on the cross. When, when the scripture the scripture tell us that that through his wounds we are healed make no mistake we are sick <coughs> we are sick that we would do such a thing that Satan was perfect and righteous we see Christ's willingness he was oppressed, in verse 7, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. We have this amazing prayer uh, of Christ in the garden, and we get to hear like what he's praying uh, to his father, and, uh, and in that plea, he says, my father, if it be possible. Let this cup pass from me, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. So we see this moment in the cross, uh, or in the garden, as Jesus is meditating, as he's thinking about what he is about to have to endure. He prays to the Father, he says, God, if it's possible, if there's a plan B, I'm looking at plan A, and I realize how bad it's going to be, I realize how bad it's going to hurt. Have the sins uh, of mankind placed upon me. God, if, if there's a plan B, let's look at plan B. But if, if there isn't, I'm going with plan A. In full obedience. And we see that moment, after that moment of reluctance, when he realizes there is no plan B, that this is, the cross is the way that all of this is going to be accomplished. We see him set his obedience forward. No reluctance. And he makes his way to the cross. And as these verses tell us that he was solid. He didn't defend himself. You know, a a lamb, a lamb, why does a lamb go peacefully to the slaughter? Because it's a lamb. It, It doesn't know doesn't know that it's about to be food. And so it just walks willy-nilly into the situation. That's not how Christ, though Christ was silent, he knew exactly what he was walking into. And even if a lamb knew what it was getting into, what's a lamb going to do? Tabitha. He tied up and it's, it's over it's there is no resistance and yet that's not how Christ willingly went to the cross he went with all the means of the world to stop with a, with a word without even a word with a look these people that were leading him to the slaughter were in ashes and yet he willingly without fighting back, Walked forward and embraced the cross. Because of what? Because that was his mission. That was the plan of God. We see here not just his willingness to die, but the Father's willingness to punish him. While we see evil sick men desiring the death of an innocent man, though we see the willingness of Christ to endure the cross, perhaps the most shocking verse in all of scripture is verse 10 that says, Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. Many people are disgusted by this verse, saying, That's wrong. That is divine abuse." We know that's not what this is. Though we know that it is according to God's plan. For Acts 2.23, tells us that everything that happened in this moment was the definite plan of the Father. There was no chaos here. There was no, they're killing my son, what am I going to do? There was the absolute plan of God for all of this to take place. that it was his will, that it was even, as some translations put it, it was his pleasure to kill his son. Because he knew it was was something that was going to accomplish a purpose, that it was a purposeful death. If we read John 17, we see the high priestly prayer of Christ, and we see a longer prayer of of Christ talking to um, to the father about his mission if we were really to, to break it down I believe there, there are two main parts of Christ's mission that he mentions in John uh, chapter 17 and the first one is this is the glory of God the upholding of the holiness of God because at this point there was a problem Romans 3 25 says this about This moment. It says, Who God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. So there was this there was this unanswered question in the universe that was kind of hanging out there that said, How can a holy God keep loving these people? When you look at the Old Testament, when you look at King David committing adultery and murder ultimately, when you see all these men being forgiven by God, the question in the universe is, how can God do that and uphold his holiness? Well, we know that it was this moment when Christ would purposely set right and answer that question. was through Christ, it was through his own son that he laid those sins on that had been committed. And so the purpose and the reason that the Father was able to take pleasure and make it his will to crush his son was because his son was standing for the God for God's glory and saying God's holiness must stand. And therefore I must receive the wrath that has been stored up through Old Testament saints and that will come those that that will come to know Christ in the New Testament and the church age. And while God's glory is paramount to the cross as it should be paramount for anything that that ever happens God the Father's Uh, And the son's love for mankind is also a huge factor in the death of Christ. This is what some things he prays from John 17. Verse 19 He says, and and for their sake, for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. for For their sake, for our sake, Christ laid down his life. Verse 23 in John 17 in this prayer. I in them and you in me that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. God's desire to create a healed people out of the sick people of the world is why it was his pleasure to kill the Son. God's desire to create a people who worship him out of a people of rebellion is why he crushed his son. God's desire to create a people, to set his affections on and to do good towards is why he poured his out, his wrath on his perfect son. We have this moment where God's holiness and his love perfectly overlapped in the moment where he was both just and the justifier of those who believe. One preacher has said this, God's love for mankind made the cross possible. And God's hatred of sin made the cross necessary. So, God, it was God's will to crush the Son because it established His holiness forever and brought the people to Himself, the people of God, the people adopted as sons and daughters of Christ. So were the purposes of God in bruising Christ accomplished? Of course they were. We see the victorious death of the Lamb of God here talk a lot more about this next Sunday. We see his satisfaction in, in his death. Verse 11. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall a righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. God was absolutely satisfied in the death of Christ because Christ bore our rejection, because he bore our sorrows, because he took on our transgressions. He went even farther than that by making us, as this says, accounted righteous. Accounted righteous, because the reality of it is, if we strip all of what Christ has done away, we're not righteous. We are sinful and undeserving of God's love we are not righteous but because of what Christ has done, this verse says we are accounted righteous Isn't that amazing that our standing before God is not based on what we do it's not based on our works it's based upon finished work of Christ, the victorious work of Christ on the cross. Romans 3.21 says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. Despite my past failures, despite my future failures, my standing before God is accounted righteous. Amen. Amen. My standing with God is not in my works of the law, it is in the works of Christ. We see his accomplishments in his death. Verse 12 says that he was victorious and that the spoils belong to him. That, as we will look at next Sunday, That in heaven, at the end of time on earth, in Revelation it will be asked who is worthy, who is worthy. And we're going to see that the Lamb is worthy, because he was victorious in his death. That he will be worthy of praise and honor and glory for all eternity. As our musicians come, while in our flesh we may long for God to enter, in our cancer and the, the horrible realities of war, we may ask, where, where is God? And one day God will, God will victoriousl,y intervene in such a way to wipe all of that off yeah. here. But in the meantime, we must always remember what he's done. What he's done for us through Christ. He has taken upon himself our rejection, our sorrow, and our sin, and he has taken upon himself receiving the agony that we deserve. He was willing to face death that we may have life. The Father was willing to crush him that we may not be crushed. So I want to ask you, if you don't know Christ this morning, you need to realize what he's done and believe upon what he's done and receive him as your Lord and Savior. That is why he has made your substitute that you would turn to him and be saved and receive that righteousness And if you are a Christian, would you stand this morning in worship that it is about what Christ has done, and not what you have done? And praise Him for that reality this morning. Please stand and sing, and I will be here if anyone needs to talk about anything about the gospel, especially. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for Christ who our rejection, our sorrows, our sin. He endured what we deserve so we should receive all this God, I pray that if there's anyone here, who would speak to them this morning, that you would show them the beautifulness, the glory of God the account of the righteousness you move in our hearts this morning. Help us to worship you. Thank you. Thank you for what you have done.